You may or may not know this, but this week we celebrate National Marriage Week. Of course, the reason for that is because Tuesday is Valentine's Day. So all the guys out there, you're welcome for that reminder. Tuesday is Valentine's Day. So if that's an alarm to you, you still have a couple days to get uh, a gift, or more importantly, to make sure that you say every day, hopefully, to your spouse, I love you. But in National Marriage Week, we also want to realize, as we know, as you know probably more than I know, especially if you're married, marriage can be hard. But it's worth it. But it doesn't mean it's not difficult. Today, of course, we hear about marriage in our gospel. And this gospel is kind of beginning, well, we know it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's almost like Jesus teaching a morality class, going deeper into the morals of the teaching of God. But it's very beautiful. So he's telling us to do is to what? Is to love as he loves, to follow in his ways. We, we, we pre- I preached about this last week. To be, to be a Christian is not just someone who believes in God or Christ, follows Christ, but tries to be like Christ. And this is what God is showing us today. This is what Christ is teaching us today. Of course, he says right away, I did not come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. Not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law. Not an iota. Iota is a small little part of of a letter will pass away. But rather what he's trying to do is to expand upon this to help us to live in a way that is full of love and to be Christ-like. See, the Pharisees are kind of stuck on on the letter of the law. But Jesus wants to go even deeper and expand upon this and bring it to fulfillment. Of course, he brings us this this new covenant, this new covenant of love. And so he starts off with the one that we all can agree upon. You shall not kill. Whoever kills will be liable to judgment. It's quite obvious. Don't kill. Let's look at this in context of marriage. Don't kill your spouse. All right? Have you ever said something maybe, oof, ever called your spouse a fool? Well, that too, in this context of killing. Why? Well, it's something we do out of, maybe out of anger. Jesus says, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother, whoever is angry with their spouse, will be liable to judgment. Whoever says to their brother, Raka, we answer with the Sanhedrin, whoever says, you fool, will be liable to fire Gehenna. Right away, you might be going, Father, Father, Father. Come on now, like, I'm going to get angry. Anger is an emotion we all experience. And this is true. Will you get angry at your spouse? Will you be angry because of something your spouse did? Will that emotion arise in you? All the married couples should say, yes, Father, (laughs) right? Why? Because, well, we're not perfect. What Jesus is saying What do we do with that anger? What do we do with that? What are we called to do? Where are we called to channel this emotion, this this feeling, this passion inside of us? 
to God, to go to God and to say, God, help me. Help me to love as you love. Because we know in the context especially of marriage that it's not just the two coming together, but the two coming together with God and entering into this covenant This covenant of three now, which is a communion of what? A communion of love. Who we call to lean into, though, especially maybe when we have some frustrations. To lean into God. God, help me. Not only in the context of marriage, but in other parts of our life, too. A neighbor who maybe upsets us, a coworker to something that is unjust. Do we let it fester in our heart? Do we ruminate in our mind? Do we daydream and think, ooh, I can't wait to get them back? Mm, mm, mm. That's what Jesus is telling us not to do, but to hand it over to him. Move on to this next one. Once again, it's kind of Jesus. Next week we hear about this as well, but he starts with, you have heard. So this next one's quite obvious as well. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Once again, this makes sense. Do not commit adultery. But Jesus goes even deeper. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The uh, scripture, when I, when I research scripture, sometimes I go to a, a professor. His name is Dr. Brant Petrie. That's something I look on some of his teachings. And he's actually a college professor. And he goes, every time I preach about this, or he teaches about this, there's a college student who goes, hey, doctor, like, uh, lust is impossible not to have. Now, the context there is this. The guy will say this. This college person will say, I'm attracted to a lot of different females. Is that lust? Is attraction lust? No. Attraction, by the way, is actually something that's very good. Think about it. If we were not attracted to the opposite sex, none of us would be here. It's good that you're attracted to your spouse. That's a good thing. And attraction can happen, right? Why? Because, well, it's something that can be be good. But then what is lust? Lust is not the attraction, but lust is when we start to, once again, let it dwell maybe in our mind, when we start to dwell in our heart, God forbid, when we start to act out upon it. We're bombarded, by the way, in our society with advertisements and shows that try to make us lust. You turn on the TV we got the Super Bowl today. How many commercials are going to play into this? Even driving down Highway 7, I saw an advertisement two weeks ago where it said, it had two toothbrushes. If I have sink, it said, save water, cohabitate. Hmm. This is what society is teaching us or trying to show to us. And yet we know that love is something so much deeper than lust. And we know as well that in the midst of all this, as temptations come, who are we called to turn to? We're called to turn to God. God, help me. Lord, help me to love in the way that you love me. 
Lord, help me to see my brothers and my sisters truly as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help me to love my spouse for who she is, for who he is. Help me to give freely and not to give in to these temptations or inordinate desires. We go on to the next one, a little bit more of a controversial one. We'll see in the shorter reading of the gospel, which we never do at St. John's, by the way, but in the shorter one, this one's going to take now because it's too controversial, supposedly. But it's not. It's a teaching of the church. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce. But I say it to you, whoever divorces his wife unless the marriage is unlawful causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So what is actually is Jesus saying here? Remember, in other parts of the gospel, gospels, the Pharisees try to trick Jesus. Because they know Jesus is saying marriage is supposed to be for life. But they say, well, Moses allowed for divorce. How come you don't? And what is Jesus' response? It was because of the hardness of their hearts for the Israelites that Moses allowed for divorce. But he's saying when people enter into this marriage covenant, it is meant to be for life. Let's use an example here. Say we have a young couple. Clarence and Matilda, they're madly in love. Clarence engaged, you know, asked Matilda to marry her, marry him, and she says yes. They go through marriage prep. They come here to this, this church. They're in front of us in the sanctuary, and Clarence says this, I, Clarence, take you, Matilda, to be my wife. I promise to be faithful to you in good times and bad and sickness and health to love and to honor you for the next year and a half of my life. It's not quite as profound, is it? That's not what we say. And we don't put in marriage, by the way, especially as we say these, these, these vows, as we enter into this covenant, we don't put caveats on it. I promise to be faithful to you, to love and to honor you as long as you give me children. To love and to honor you as long as you don't cheat on me. To love and to honor you as long as we have fun together. That's not what you say in marriage. We're not called to come in with reservations. We're saying, I'm going to give myself completely and freely to you. And perfect that I am and perfect that you are. Because I know it's not just the two of us coming into marriage. But once again, who is present? God. Entering into this covenant. So you're able to say, to love and to honor you all the days of my life. Where the two come together here in Genesis, joined in one flesh. But marriage can be difficult. Marriage is hard sometimes. And yet we know that you're not doing it by yourself, but that God is with you. And so the church teaches that when two come together in this covenant, let no one put asunder, let no one separate. We can't separate it. And so the church teaches, the Catholic church teaches that it is for life. And we've seen separations of the churches because of our teaching. We go back to, let's use the example of King Henry. Look back at England, right? Separation because he wanted to get re remarried. But the church said, no. 
And so what does the church teach them? What is, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that marriage is for life. Now, of course, we know that there's situations, the catechism of the Catholic Church will t- tell us this. There's situations in marriages that maybe there's, there's abuse, physical, emotional abuse happening. What's supposed to happen here, of course, there's supposed to be a separation. Even then, though, we pray for reconciliation. We know, of course, there's also annulments. What is an annulment? Annulment is not something because what someone did during the marriage, but instead something that was present before the marriage. You see, when two people come together in this, this covenant with God, it's not the church in it. It's the two in God. Now with this unbreakable seal. And so in your marriage, how do you live that out? How do you live out that, that love? And once again, it may seem impossible, but it's not. It's not with God. To go to God and say, God, help me. Help me to love my spouse in a way that it's really hard right now. But I want to give myself completely to, to her or to him. Help me to be united with you. And in marriage as well, that you two come together with God. To be able to pray together, asking God for his help. And know that he wants to put his grace upon your marriage. Finally, we hear Jesus say as well, right? Again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, do not take a false oath, but make good to the Lord all that you vow. All that you vow. So look at those vows that are said at marriage. Make it good. End of the gospel. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. And so it's saying to the Lord, Lord, help me to let my yes, the yes of my marriage vows, be lived out today. Give me all the grace that I need. Once again, as we celebrate National Marriage Week, I just want to let you know of my prayers for all married couples. You are a great witness to the church. You're a great witness to society. You're a great witness to me. Marriage is a sacrament of service, serving one another and serving God. Fight for your marriage. Fight for the goodness of marriage. Live it out. Live in a way that you can truly love each other freely. That agape way, that, that total self-gift. But know this well, that God is with you. Turn to him. Lean into him. And he will be there to help you every day of your life.